Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Father, Lord, we want to <clears throat> come to you tonight and we want to thank you so much for the year that you have given us. We want to thank you so much for all that we have witnessed and experienced in this conference, Lord. And we pray that you would please help us to enter into this next year, Lord, with the right focus, with the right vision for the future. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be guided by your word, to offer our bodies a living sacrifice for your holy service so that we might be able to live according to your will instead of our own. We pray, Lord, that this next year would be even more amazing than the last. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to face all the hard times together, that we would laugh hysterically all along the way, that we would see souls saved, that we would see disciples made, that we would see men trained up, we would see churches planted, and all for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, how are you doing? You're doing pretty good? It is good to see you. Um, you know, I didn't think that you could have any more pressure laid on you than follow Mark Trotter. And then they said, oh yeah, they're having the graduation tonight. And I was like, what in the world, man? And then Sam gets up and he's like, this is the last sermon of the year. I'm like, what? So, better not mess it up. Listen, you can... It's probably going to suck. <laughs> so I'm just wanting to prepare you. Okay, let's go into this with low expectations. <sighs> Man, it was remarkable seeing all the guys and the ladies up here at the graduation. Weren't they, weren't they awesome? Yeah, that's just my way of getting you to applaud. Okay, let's give them a round of applause. Yeah. I was sitting there listening to Uriah's testimony. It was remarkable. And I remember as I was sitting there, I was watching him and I was thinking to myself, he has amazing eyebrows. <laughs> he does. I mean, they are sultry. Aren't they? They're just chiseled. I don't, I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. It's a gift. I hope all of you have enjoyed this week so far. Still got more to come. Tomorrow night, you're going to have an actual, a good sermon by Joe McCaig. Looking forward to that. Yes. So we are looking forward to give something to wipe this one off the books. But it's, uh, it's been wonderful to go to all of the sessions. Uh, I was in a breakout session today, the uh, evangelistic methods, right? Wasn't that good? Who else was in there with me? Man, I mean, that was just 
amazing. We were in there with uh, Tom Brockmeyer, right? And uh, this guy, I mean, he makes you want to win souls, doesn't he? I mean, he just has such a lighthearted spirit. He's so winsome. I was sitting there trying to figure this guy out. And he's like, Philip the Evangelist meets Woody Allen. That's the way I, in my mind. I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, God, he's got such an energy. I wanted to go out and start soul winning right away. He was awesome. He was amazing. I really have enjoyed all the sessions. But today, when I was listening to Pastor Sam speak, um, it really reminded me what all of this is about. If you, if you weren't in there, then you should definitely listen to it. I'm assuming it was recorded. But it reminded me what all of this was about. It's about this philosophy of ministry. It's really what makes us who we are. It's really what sets us apart, is the philosophy of ministry that we have. And I wanna to talk to you about that uh, a little bit tonight and to piggyback on what he has said in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. If you go there with me, I wanna share a little bit with you from this passage. It is what I call the Romans road to missions. Now we all use the Romans road to share the gospel, and it has a, you know, a number of passages from the book of Romans. And for whatever reason, it ends up in Revelation. I don't know why Revelation gets thrown into there, but it always ends up Revelation 3.20. But it's still the Romans road to the gospel. But this passage is what I would call the Romans road to missions. And you see in this passage here, in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul gives us a series of questions. He gives us a series of questions, only two verses. And uh, my Bible is so unbelievably small that uh, I don't know how anyone is supposed to read this thing. It's my fault for bringing this, I apologize. But he says, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And in verse 15, I think this is the key to the whole thing. He says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? That's the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a sending church. We want to be the kind of church that trains up men and women that can be sent out to fulfill the ministry for God's glory. But he says a couple of things. He's like, how shall they call upon him in whom they've not heard? Uh, this call upon him, this is basically a prayer. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a prayer and a personal decision. Whenever we're sharing the gospel with people, this is always what we're shooting for. We are shooting for people to call upon the name of the Lord. We call our church back home, we call it Crossroads Baptist Church. And the reason why we call it that is because that's what we're always shooting for. We're always trying to bring people to a crossroads where they have to make a personal decision. At the cross, they're gonna decide if they're going to follow Christ or if they're not. And even in discipleship, we try to bring them to that same crossroads where they're gonna make a decision if they're gonna be obedient to Christ or not. And sometimes people drop out of discipleship, but oftentimes that's because discipleship worked. And you brought them to that crossroads, they just made the wrong turn. But we still did our job. 
We discipled people and we brought them to that crossroads. And when we share the gospel with people, we have not done our job until we bring people to that crossroads where they make a personal decision and then they call upon the name of the Lord and they pray to him. That's always what we're going for. But how are they supposed to do that unless they believe in him? That's what we want. We want for them to believe in Jesus Christ and his gospel. We want them to believe, not just believe in general, but believe in specific things. We want to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We want them to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. It's amazing when we share the gospel with people how much we can talk without ever mentioning the death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we can talk for a, about a lot of stuff. We can talk about uh, philosophy. We can talk about feelings and we can talk about fossils. We talk about all these things to death, but the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want people to put their faith in what Christ did on the cross. But how are they supposed to do that if they've never heard it? And of course, all of these questions that Paul's asking here, they're all rhetorical, right? We all know the answer. The answer is understood. The answer is they won't. That's the answer that he's implying. They can't call on someone in whom they've not believed, and they can't believe on someone in whom they've not heard. Your neighbor will not be able to call upon Jesus Christ unless you tell them, unless they hear the gospel. The gospel always requires us speaking. You ever heard that expression, uh, you know, you should be preaching the gospel all the time and, and if necessary, use words? Anybody ever sell that meme on the, yeah, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> that, that, that's, not, that's not true. You have to, you have to speak. Uh, they're not going to understand. I, mean, you, I know a lot of Buddhists in London that are really nice guys. And they live really clean lives and really generous. And man, they'll help you change your tire if it's flat. But that doesn't say anything about the gospel. The only way they're going to know that they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ is if you speak. Now, of course, your life should be there. But your clean life and your gospel life that declares and demonstrates the gospel is there to confirm what you say with your mouth. But you got to have both. And I'm telling you, when you find someone who has both, when they have the words and they have the life to back it up, that is a very powerful combination that really proclaims the gospel. And that's the kind of gospel that they need to hear. But if they don't ever hear it, then there's no way they can believe and then call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, how are they going to hear, Paul says, unless we preach? Unless we preach. And our gospel sharing with the world has to involve us preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are there to do two things when we preach. We're there to proclaim and we are there to persuade. Where I live in London, we've got a lot of Calvinists and uh, they are scared to death that you're going to manipulate somebody into receiving the gospel. They're so scared to death of false conversions. I mean, they're just out of their mind. I mean, if you, if, if you start to persuade people at all, they're like, oh, you're just manipulating them. And what about false conversions? False conversions around every corner. And I'm like, man, why don't you guys look around? 
I'm not worried about false conversions. I'm worried about no conversions. Maybe we got less than 5% in this country uh, that is going to a church of any, of any kind. They're not even going to church with the crazy people that we don't even want them to go to church with. They're not even going there. I mean, I'm saying I'd be willing to settle for a few false conversions right now. <laughs> I'd be willing to pay someone just to pray the prayer. It's only funny because it's true. (laughs) But we're not there just to proclaim. We're there to persuade. We're there to persuade. That's what Paul says. He says, I beseech you, be ye reconciled unto God. When was the last time that you said that to someone, that you were trying to win to Christ? That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, listen, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, man. I was saying to this to a guy on the high street one time. I was saying, he's like, what do you really want from me? I said, listen, I'm I'm begging you. Make the right choice. It's the right choice. You know it's the right choice. Give your life to Christ. I beseech you, be you reconciled unto Christ, unto God through Christ. That's what Paul said. He's always trying to persuade. He's always trying to get you to receive Jesus Christ. It's not just in information that we're giving to people. It's also an invitation to come and to receive Jesus Christ. And until you bring them to that crossroads where you give them an invitation that they have a chance to accept, you haven't really done your job. Your preaching should involve both, proclaiming and persuading. Persuade them. Do them the favor. Love them that much. And do everything you can to persuade them to receive Jesus Christ. And listen, you're always going to have false conversions. There's going to be people that say the prayer that don't mean it. Jesus even said that in Mark 4 when he gave us the parable of the sower. He told us right from the beginning that there's going to be people who look really good in the beginning. But when the heat comes, then they're going to prove that they don't have any root, right? There's no way to avoid that. We just have to do our job of proclaiming the gospel and persuading people to receive Jesus Christ Christ, and let the seeds fall where they may. So we have to preach, continue preaching, proclaiming and persuading. But we cannot do that if we are not sending preachers. And I'm not just talking about people that get ordained. We, saw, we can see that. We don't, we don't have time for all this. We don't, we don't have time. I don't care what you say, okay? We don't have time. But we, I, I, want to, I wish that I could take you to Acts and show you that after the persecution of Stephen, when that great persecution came down that scattered everybody into Judea and Samaria, it wasn't the apostles who were going around preaching, was it? The apostles, it says very clearly, I guess we do have time. Okay, the apostles <laughs> are the ones who stayed back in Jerusalem. But everybody else, it says they were scattered and they all went preaching the word of God. It's the job of each and every one of us to be sent by the local church in one fashion or another. Now, they may send you to Hungary. They may send you to Kuwait. They may send you to someplace really dangerous, like Kid Town. Whether they send you uh, far away or whether they send you and recognize your gifts and they send you to a ministry right here at home, we all need to be, we need to be a sending church. 
We need to be a church that's training people up and sending them to go. And you know what we have a real lack of in the world today? We're not producing preachers. Everybody wants to share all the time. I don't know. It sounds so girly, doesn't it? I have some, just nothing against the girls, you know. I'm just saying, it just sounds, you know, I, y'all don't want a preacher come up and say, you know, I just really want to share something with you tonight. Man, well, sit down and let somebody else come up <laughs> who wants to preach God's word. <laughs> That's what I love about Sam. Sam is a preacher. Man, isn't he great? I could brag on him all night. I think he's pretty sexy. <laughs> I mean that in the right way. He's, a, he's just, a, he's a great guy. And he does, he, he does the work. He does the work. He preaches God's word. I mean it in that way. He's awesome. But there's not a lot of churches that are sending preachers. So when you see this, what Paul is doing in this passage is he's kind of reverse engineering, okay? The, the Romans road to missions, he's reverse engineering it. You know, he's showing us, and he starts with the believer bowing their knee to Christ, and then he reverse engineers it all the way back to that church who is sending out a preacher. It's God who sends, but he does it through the local church, and he reverse engineers it all the way back to where it really begins, and it begins right here with a church that decides they're going to be the kind of church who sends preachers out. And that's how it ends up with a sinner bowing their knee to Christ and calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. So the real order in this is that you have to go backwards. Is first they're sent, then they preach, then they hear, then they believe, and then they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the way that it begins is if a church is going to decide that they're going to be a sending church, we need to be sending people out. Sending people out to our neighbors and to the nations to preach Jesus Christ. But there's also a few things. I mean, Paul's, not only is he reverse engineering this, but he's also kind of speaking in shorthand. There's a few things that are implied. There's a few things that are missing in the list. Okay, because these preachers that are sent out, when he talks about being sent, there's a few things that are implied. For one thing, these same preachers that are sent are first called. They have to be called. You see this, we don't have time to go there, but in Acts chapter 9, Paul is called, right, on the road to Damascus. And God says to Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus because there's a chosen vessel for me. And I want you to go and tell him what I want him to do for me. We see that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But not only are they called, but they're also trained. They have to be trained. Okay, we're getting into some specifics. They're called, but they're also trained. Also in Acts chapter 9, after Paul recovers in Damascus, and he starts preaching in Damascus and starts trying to convince everyone that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord. It says there, right in the middle of the chapter, that he went down to Jerusalem to meet the brethren down there, to meet the apostles down in Jerusalem. But of course, we know, don't we, Bible students, that there's a huge gap of time. There's a huge gap of time in between Damascus and Jerusalem. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? All you got to do is just go over to Galatians chapter 1 when Paul is given his testimony and he says very clearly that when I left Damascus, I did not go and confer with flesh. I did not go and confer with my brothers. He says, but I went into Arabia for how long? 
For three years, he sat with Christ to be trained. Now, I'm just curious. The other disciples, how long were they with the Lord? Yeah, see, Paul needed his three. Before Paul was ready, he needed his three years. About how long does it take to go through LFBI? I don't know. How many? Four years? About four years? Well, we're not the Apostle Paul, so maybe we need four. <laughs> I was hoping it was three. That would have, that would have fit really good. But uh, So you need time to be trained. Okay, we're all called to serve, and God has a, a capacity for all of us. But we all need to be trained. But not only that, but we need to be recognized. That is, we need to be separated as well. In Acts chapter 13, where we get our model for what it means to like send out missionaries and be able to call people and send them out. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, it says that you need to, the Holy Ghost said, you need to separate Paul and Barnabas, right? For the work that I have called them to. You guys remember that? And so after they separated them, that means that they recognized that God had called them to a specific work. And after they prayed and they fasted, it says that the church did what? Then they, they sent them. They sent them. So if you really look at the, at the real list, the real list is that they're called, they're trained, they're separated, then they are sent, then they preach, then they hear, then they believe, then they call upon his name. But it's not really a, a list in the sense of a, a grocery list that you check off. It's more of a, can we see that screen? If we have it, it's more of a circle. This is how the road, uh, Romans road to missions really works. You start with a man that's called or a lady that is called and they are trained, then they are separated by the church. That means they recognize their gifts, and then they are sent so they can preach, so that others can hear, so they can believe, so they can call upon the name of the Lord. And do you see how that that finishes up? You have that call to salvation and the call to serve right there, and it just keeps on going, and that is the way we continue to reproduce all around the world. That is what I would call the Romans road to missions. What we need to be is a church like this. And I love it that there are eight things. There are eight things. And I had, I, when I saw what Paul had here, there was only five. In biblical numerology, that's the number for death, five. And I thought, man, that makes a terrible illustration. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to go to seed too much, but I think it's really cool that there's eight things. Eight in the, in the Bible always represents a new beginning, which is exactly what we're on the precipice of, a brand new beginning. And of course, this is nothing new for us, but it is a new year. And also, as we said last night, what we're trying to do is we're trying to lay down that old man so that we can embrace the new man and live for Jesus Christ, a separated, holy, sanctified life of service. This is what the new man looks like. This is the path of the new man. A man who is called, he recognizes that he has a call to serve in whatever capacity that might be. Whether you are sent to Romania or to Raytown, you have been called to serve. And because of that, you're gonna get busy getting trained. 
And as you get trained, the church is going to start to recognize your gifts. And they're going to say, man, here is exactly where we think you need to be. Here is exactly where you can really help. And you're going to be like, man, I think God's got a calling on my life. And they're going to say, we see it too. The Holy Spirit has said the same thing to us that they said to you. And we want to take you and we want to train you up and we want to send you to do that job, whether it's downstairs or whether it's across the world. And then you go and you begin to proclaim Jesus Christ. You begin to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? So that you can start the cycle all over again in another person. Now that is the kind of life. That is the life of the new man. And I hope for each and every one of you that that will be the life that you will embrace when it comes to the new year. We talked about last night about laying that old man down and taking up this new man to serve. And what I wanted to share with you tonight is that this, this is what that new man looks like. This is what that service looks like. Because it's one thing for me to say by connotation, man, serve the Lord. But if I don't tell you how to do that, then you're left to kind of leave that up to yourself to just imagine what that might look like. This is what that service looks like. This is what a holy sanctified life of service looks like before the Lord. This is what we need to decide, not only as individuals, but as a church, that this is all we are going to be about. And of course, I don't have to tell you that. If you really want the details of how that this is supposed to be done, just go into Sam's class that he taught today. And he gives you all the details about exactly how that can work. But what you need to do as an individual is decide whether or not you want to be a part of it. Each and every one of us have to make that decision. But there is also... A danger. There is a warning in this passage. If you look back at this passage, I imagine most of you would agree with me on this stuff. But there is a warning in this passage in chapter 10 as well. If you look in Romans chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, it says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I have found of them that sought me not, and I was manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You know, we cannot forget the context in which these so familiar passage lies right in the middle of. What's the context of this whole passage? From chapters 9 to 11, Paul is answering the question, what happened to Israel? He's answering this question, and the answer to that question as he goes through for three chapters is very simple. That God was the one who had called them to be the light of the world. He had set them apart. To serve him, he had made them a holy, sanctified people to serve them, but they rejected him. They rejected his call. It was them that he was going to use to be a light to the world, to reach the world. It was them he was supposed to use to do that. But they rejected his call, and because of that, he set them to the side, and he went to another and he went to the Gentiles. And now he is using the Gentiles in order to call a people out for his name. 
And of course, when he's done with the Gentiles and he goes into the time of the tribulation, he's going to go right back to the Jews. And guess what he does? He raises up 144,000 apostle Pauls that he sends out into the nations preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that exactly what he does? So Paul is telling us here, right in the context, he goes right into this. He doesn't even take a breath. He's saying, how are they going to hear if we don't preach to them? And did not Israel know this? And he says, yes, but we always had to stretch forth our hands to a disobedient and stiff-necked people. And that's the reason why God went to the Gentiles in order to provoke them to jealousy. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why are you explaining this to us tonight? And the reason why is because there is a very important inspirational application that we can make. To all of us tonight. We must learn from their mistake. You see, if we know that we have this call upon our lives as a church and as individuals, if we will not do it, God will use somebody else. If we choose not to be the kind of church that God calls us to be in his word, then he will turn to someone else to do it. And one of my favorite books is the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, the nation of Israel is under attack. And Esther is the queen. Esther comes and she's talking to Mordecai through a messenger. And Mordecai is saying, you've got to go and talk to the king. And you guys know what Esther says? She's like, I can't talk to the king. You crazy? If I go in and talk to the king unannounced, I could be killed. And she sends that word back to Mordecai. And you guys probably remember what Mordecai says to her in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. He says, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. He says, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. He says, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom kingdom for such a time as this. He says to Esther, he says, if you don't want to step up to save your people, then that deliverance will just come from somebody else. He says, but maybe God has put you in this place for just such a time as this. You know, whenever the Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians and they were dragged off to the Babylonian empire and their whole city was ransacked and they burnt their temple to the ground. Do you know the Jews had to stay over there for how long? For 70 years. For 70 years, the nation of Israel, this rebellious and stiff-necked people who continued to rebel against God, they had to go over into the land of captivity and they had to sit there with their harps hung on the willow trees, so depressed that they couldn't even sing, and they had to sit and watch other heathen nations enjoy the promised land that was meant for them because they refused to do what God asked them to do. They had to sit there and watch them enjoy their land. And what of us? Are we content to be disqualified? Are we content to be sidelined while someone else lives the life that was meant for us? 
Will we be like Esau and sell our birthright so that we can satisfy the gods of our bellies? Will we stand by and watch while someone else enjoys the birthright and reaps the glory that we are meant to share with Christ? We are the ones who are meant to share that glory. And will we stand aside while somebody else does it? Or will we be the church that God has called us to be? The king has extended the golden scepter to us. We are allowed to approach. And if we do not step up, you can be certain that that deliverance will come from somewhere else. God has brought all of us here. Every single one of you that are in those seats, he has brought you here for just such a time as this. And I suggest that you step up to the challenge. This is our calling. This is our birthright. This is our mission. And it is our honor to do it. So will we step forward? You better believe we will. We will step forward and we will shake off the temptation to build some monstrosity here that serves no one else but for people to come in here and get fat on doctrine while outside people starve from a lack of hearing the word of God. We will stand and embrace the mission to be a missions-focused church, to be a disciple-making church, to be a sending church. That is the kind of church that we're going to be. Because that's the kind of church that God has called us to be. And because of that, you know what we're going to do? We're going to work our jobs as hard as we can. We're going to give our money as much as we can. We're going to pray until our knees ache. And we're going to make disciples. We're going to train as hard as we can. We're going to sharpen our swords. And when God sets one of us apart, we are going to take them, train them, and we're going to send them out into the world where they can go and do what you guys are doing every Sunday somewhere else. That's the kind of church that we're going to be. We're going to send them out to both neighbor and nations. And we're going to do it for the glory of our Father's name. That's what 2020 needs to be about. And what of you members in particular? Will you step forward and accept the call that God has on your life? Will you raise your hand and say, here am I, send me? Or will you despise God's call and be content for him to choose another to go forward and to accept a crown that was meant for you. Now, this is the time. This is the time for you to step up and to step forward. Whether God has called you to the local ministry or whether he has called you to foreign ministry, now is the time for you to accept God's call to serve. 
Now is the time, the Bible says, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now is the time for us to engage the battle. Now is not the time for us to roll over and go to sleep. Now is the time for us to live. Now is the time for us to live, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us. That is the kind of church that God has called us to be. And I believe in this church. I believe that that's exactly the kind of church that you're going to be. You know, it was 24 years ago on this very night that my wife and I moved to this city. It was on New Year's Eve. And uh, it changed our life forever. We were going to Baptist Bible College. And I managed to get through about three years of Bible college without learning pretty much anything about my Bible. And I came here and they put me with this guy named Brian Anderson. This guy was awesome. He just worked at the mall. And he sat me down and he discipled me. And because I'm so thick, it took me like a year and a half to get through 16 lessons. And this guy discipled me. And I knew as he was telling me this stuff and explaining, and this guy knew his Bible. This guy had been trained in the word. He knew his Bible and he was telling me what to do. And I just knew, man, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life is I'm going to go and make disciples. And while he was doing that, his wife was discipling my wife. And it wasn't just information download. It was a personal relationship. I remember one night I came and I sat across the table from him and I was a little downcast. And he says, why art thou downcast? <laughs> and I said, well, me and Mindy had a fight. It's the only one we've ever had. <laughs> That's not true. We fight all the time. <laughs> and she always wins. But he, uh, he looks at me and he takes money out of his pocket and he pushes it across the table. He says, I want you to go buy some flowers. I want you to go home, tell her that you were wrong, and make up. And I was like, I didn't even tell you what happened. <laughs> he says, I don't need to know. Just tell her that you were wrong. So I was like, I'm here to submit. So I, I took his cash. And I went home and I said, I said, Punkin, I was wrong. And she said, I know. <laughs> and we've been following that pattern ever since. <laughs> but he, that was the kind of guy he was. He was, in, he was all in my pockets, man, in my life, teaching me how to be a godly man, teaching me how to take this, look, uh, this book and 
make it part of my soul. And then I, I met Sam. And Sam just took me under his wing. He even got me a job. He got me a job. I used to be the janitor at the church. That's pretty much all I was qualified for. But he got me a job, which we went together like every uh, day to work in his truck. And he would stop at Hardee's and get me a fat pill uh, to eat for breakfast. That's what he would call them. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to pay for breakfast whenever Sam is with you. It's almost impossible. So he would buy this for me almost every Sunday. Then we would go off to work. And I absolutely disgraced him at that job because I can't sell computers for nothing. Okay. I was terrible at that job. And you know what he did? He just loved me anyway. I mean, the owner was so frustrated with me. He was this little Korean man and he would come out and he would say, curses upon you and your family because I couldn't sell anything. I was awful. And I'd come out to the truck downcast and he would just love on me. He just loved on me all the time. He just taught me. These guys, they took care of me and they trained me. Went through shepherd school and went through our Bible Institute. Studied my butt off. And they trained me. And then they separated me from the rest of the people because I was a danger. They separated me. <laughs> and they ordained me and then they sent us off to London to go and preach the gospel. And so I'm over there just trying to do for others exactly what they did for me. And that was 24 years ago tonight. I'm trying to tell you guys that I hope that each and every one of you, not only as a church body, but as individuals, don't let somebody else live the life that was meant for you. God has an amazing life for you. And I pray that tonight you would step up and you would claim it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word is amazing and it guides us. And I'm so thankful for your church. So thankful for your church, Lord, who has decided that they're not going to be a disobedient and stiff-necked people. They don't want you to turn to another. They want to be obedient to your call to train up people and to send them out. Lord, what can I say but thank you so much for your grace that you've poured upon these wonderful people. And I pray that you would pour it out even more so, that your hand would be upon them that you would see men and women raised up for local ministry and foreign ministry alike, that people would embrace the call to serve, that they would be trained up and separated so they could go out and make disciples who will do the same. Lord, I pray that you would do it over and over again for the glory of your name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.